Hey church, welcome back. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nicole and I serve as the International Student Engagement Multiplier here at Lyft. I am so excited to be with you all today, um, to worship with you and just hear more about God's heart for our church uh, and what he wants to say today. But before we get started, let's pray together. Jesus, we just thank you so much um, for who you are and for all that you do. We thank you that you are good and faithful and steadfast, um, that you're constant and unchanging and that we get to lean on you and come before you. I thank you for your word and just the gift of um, being able to hear from you and speak with you today. Lord, I pray that you would give us soft and tender hearts ready to receive whatever it is that you have to say to us today. Um, so yeah, Jesus, we're just so humbled that we get to be with you, that we get to love you and walk with you, and we just praise you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. So we are now at the end of our long journey through Mark. It's been about two years, I believe, um, learning about Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection. And we are here at the end um, in the passage where he's telling us about his final words to the disciples. Um, this passage in Mark is the, what we often know as the Great Commission. Um, more commonly we hear Matthew's version, but basically Jesus' last words on earth are to send his disciples to go out into the world and tell everyone that he is alive. That is what he tells his disciples then. And the beautiful, amazing, wonderful news is that this command is also for us today. We also are invited to go into the world and proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive to everyone. I love this. If you know me, you probably know how much I love the lost, how much I love telling people about Jesus and just proclaiming that he is alive, telling them what he has done in my life and in my heart to the whole world. And I could probably talk about this for a really long time. Um, I'll limit myself today and we will, we will get to a part about sending and going into the world and telling them about Jesus. But before we do that, I want us to just pause for a little bit and to ask ourselves, do we really know and believe that the good news that Jesus is alive is really good news? Not just good news, but the best news ever. News that transforms lives, news that causes us to lay down everything and sacrifice everything at the foot of the cross because we know that it is worth it. So before we talk about going into the world, Let's talk about what is the good news. Let's remember, or maybe even hear for the first time, why scripture and the story of Jesus is really good news. In the beginning of everything, there was only God. There was only God. The earth was formless and void. There was nothing there yet. God was there, and from nothing, God made everything. He made sun, moon, stars, light, day, animals, plants, earth, water, he made it all. And at the pinnacle of this was mankind. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created them in the them in the image of God. He created them male and female. 
God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird in the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth. Everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Can you hear in this passage the intentionality and the love with which God created humans? God made us in his image. In his image, that's incredible. He provided for us. He gave us all of the food that we needed. In the beginning, there was everything that they could ever want. And God walked with humans. He walked with them. God loves us so, so, so much. He created us out of nothing. He cares for us so deeply. And as we continue on in the story, we can see the story of God's love really, really, really um, continue to grow even. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, who were the first humans that God created, lived in paradise. We just read that they had everything they needed. God provided for them. He walked with them. He loved them. They had everything they needed, and yet we find out that tragically this wasn't enough for them. See, God loves them, and he loves us so much that he gives us a choice. Because God does not want robots, he wants children who think and act and choose for themselves, even if it's the wrong choice. And so God gave them and us a choice to choose to worship him as God or to choose to worship something else in his place, to make him God or to make ourselves God. I think we all know which one is the wrong one, and unfortunately, Adam and Eve chose the wrong one. They disobeyed God. They rejected him. They chose to worship something other than him. And in doing so, in rejecting God, they sinned, which resulted in separation from God and a fractured relationship with him. I hope today that we can see the depths of this rejection, the injustice that it is for us humans, the created ones, to reject our creator, God, the only one worthy of worship and praise, the one who is good and holy and perfect and just, the one who is everything we could ask for and more. We reject him. We choose ourselves. As Paul says, we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles, and the list goes on. We replace God with money and power, wealth, success, fame, fortune, relationships, sex, whatever else, you name it. Unfortunately, we are very good as humans at replacing God with something else to worship. We need to understand how horrible and tragic this is. We need to understand how unjust this is if we are going to understand that the good news is really good news. To reject God is to be dead in our sins, as Paul says in, Galatia, or in Ephesians. Sorry, It means to be separated from all that is good in this world. God is love. 
God is goodness, God is holy, and separation from God is evil, death, destruction, and chaos. There's nothing good there. That is the reality that awaits those who reject God, awaits us when we reject God. That's what we deserve every time that we sin. But the good news is that God did not leave us in our sin. He did not leave us in our separation from him. In Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve reject God, he makes a promise, a promise of redemption and hope, a promise to evil for humans that he will come and destroy evil once and for all. He will overcome, he will be victor, and in that victory, we will be reconciled to God. So he does not leave us in our sin, even though we deserve to be left in our sin. That's how much God loves us. As we continue through the narrative of scripture, we see a repetitive cycle over and over and over again of a faithful God who loves his people and enters into relationship with them. And in response to that, humans in their sinful broken state reject God, they're unfaithful. They choose to worship something other than him. And in doing so, the results are always chaos, pain, and death, always. And this cycle repeats over and over and over again, God's faithfulness, man's unfaithfulness, until it culminates in Jesus Christ, who comes to earth as the fulfillment of the promise made in Genesis 3 to bring hope to save us so that we can be reconciled with God. Remember that we deserve death. We deserve death for rejecting God. There is nothing that we can do to earn our way back into relationship with him. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And God enters into relationship with us, not because he needs it in any way, shape, or form, not because it fulfills or satisfies him, but because he loves us, because he knows it is best for us to worship him, to love him, to be loved by him. That's how much he loves us. This is the good news that we have been reconciled in relationship to the living God because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that we have access to him every moment because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit when we choose to make him Lord and Savior over our lives. This is God's love. He gave up everything for us at the cross, everything, so that we might be alive with him. Can we see the fullness of this good news? Can you see how much Jesus loves you? He gave up everything for you and for me. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us so dearly. So this is the good news, that Jesus gave up everything for us. And yet, like many of the characters in this passage, and especially in last week's passage, we can see that fear often prevents us from going and telling people about Jesus. Dan did a really awesome job walking us through last week's passage, and I'm just going to sum it up really briefly. Um, but three women, three friends, family members, followers of Jesus had gone to his tomb right after he had died. Um, they had come prepared to see a tomb and Jesus' body, and instead when they got there, the tomb 
was empty, the body was gone, and there was an angel there. An angel who told them that Jesus was alive and that he was going to meet them so they should go tell Jesus' disciples, his other followers, that he was alive. And yet the women said nothing because they were afraid. Let's briefly reread the passage um, that Dylan read for us earlier in Mark. Early on the first day of the week, after he had risen, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him as they were mourning and weeping. Yet, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe it. After this, he appeared in a different form to two of them walking on their way into the country, and they went and reported it to the rest, who did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. So the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the accompanying signs. There's a shift that happens. I don't know if you caught it with each of the characters in this passage. We're going to start with Mary. Um, last week we saw that Mary had heard that Jesus was alive from the angel, but she was too afraid to tell that Jesus was alive to the disciples who she knew. And yet in verse 10, we see that she goes and tells the disciples. Then in verse 12, we see two more disciples who are most likely the two disciples from Luke 24 um, on the road to Emmaus. These disciples um, encountered Jesus but didn't recognize him and they were talking about how they didn't believe that Jesus was alive despite the testimonies of the women or Mary who had told them that they, she had seen Jesus. These disciples knew Mary they had walked with her and journeyed with her, and yet her testimony still was not enough for them to believe that Jesus was alive. But then, in verse 13 in Mark, they go and tell the other disciples that Jesus is alive. And then finally, we have the 11 disciples themselves who had walked with Jesus very, very closely for three years, who Jesus had told them what was coming, that he would die and be resurrected again, and they still could not believe despite the testimonies of people that they knew. But then in verse 20, we see that they go out and preach to the whole world that Jesus is alive. So what changed in each of these people? What brought them from a place of fear, denial, unbelief, to a place of truth, and boldness and courage. I'm not being very subtle, but it was an encounter with Jesus. That's all that it took. 
Verse 9, early on the first day of the week after he, Jesus, had risen, he, Jesus, appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. Then she went and reported to those who had been with him. Verse 12, after this, he, Jesus, appeared in a different form to two of them walking on their way into the country. And they went and reported it to the rest who did not believe them either. Verse 14, later he, Jesus, appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. And then in verse 20, and they, the eleven, went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by accompanying signs. Each of these people encountered Jesus and their faith turned into fear. One encounter with Jesus was all it took. That was it for them to believe. If we, church, if we are lacking boldness and courage to go and tell people that Jesus is alive, when are we creating space to encounter Jesus? When are we spending time to just be with him? None of these disciples were sent out into the world until after they had encountered Jesus. He didn't send an angel to tell them, although he could have, because angels were used as messengers in the Bible. He didn't just appear to some and then tell the others to go. He appeared to the 11. He himself came to the 11 and then told them to go. And then they went out into the world. And so we too must be with Jesus not because we have to, not because it's an obligation, but because we will not be able to go out into the world if we are not first with Jesus, if we are not receiving his love and spending time with him and learning more about his heart. We cannot go without that because we cannot do it on our own. It's something only Jesus can do, and so it's something that only we can do as we spend time with him. This is hard. It can be hard to spend time with Jesus. It can be hard to take time out of our very busy lives, our very full schedules, all of the responsibilities. It can be hard to step back from that to be with Jesus. And I want to acknowledge that. I think that's important. Because when we spend time with Jesus and we stop doing all of the things, we have to surrender control to him because suddenly we're not in control for however long it is that we're spending time with Jesus. We're stepping back from our tasks, our projects, our responsibilities, our relationships, our dreams, all of these things. We step back and we give them to Jesus. We surrender them to him. And we know, we know that it's best when all of these things, when all of our responsibilities, all of our relationships, all of our dreams, we know it is best when they are in God's hands and not ours. And yet this is hard to do because we don't like to give up control. I don't like to give up control, but it's the best thing for us. And this is where we find freedom. So it's a gift. It is a huge gift to be able to spend time with Jesus. But how do we actually do this? How do we spend time with Jesus and learn to just be with him? Growing up, I often misinterpreted what um, 
it meant to be with Jesus or as I understood it, to Sabbath. I thought it meant to be in solitude for a really long time, praying and being in the Word. And these things are very, very important. Please hear me, they're so important and they're wonderful and beautiful and they are a gift. But it doesn't end here, and I thought it did. Our God desires relationship with us. He is an intimate God who wants to speak with us who wants to listen to us, who wants to teach us about himself through his word, through creation, but he also wants to have fun with us. He wants us to delight in his presence and be with him. Dan Lupo is a really big advocate for this and in SCURD and multiplier training last year, um, he, was, he took some time to teach us how to just waste time with God, which I really did not like that phrase at first, but I've grown to appreciate it. Basically what this means is you be with Jesus. You come to him without an agenda, without any pressures, without any expectations, and you just learn to delight in his presence as he delights in yours. You have fun with him. And so very practically for me, what this looks like is going for walks. I love being in creation. I love being in nature. I encounter God there, whether I'm listening to worship music or calling someone or walking with someone. I delight in God's presence there. I delight in his presence when I get to bake and drop it off for people and share that. I delight in his presence when I'm with people and I encounter him in other people when I'm reading, there are so many ways that I have fun with God. So what do you enjoy and how do you have fun? How can you invite God into that? How can you intentionally today or this week spend time or waste time with Jesus and learn to be with him and receive his love? This is where it begins, and this is where it has always begun, with Jesus, laying our lives down at the foot of the cross, giving everything to him because we know that he is worth it. And as we give, we receive. We receive from him. We receive his grace and his love. And from this place of receiving from Jesus, we then go. Jesus is very clear when he says to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We know the good news of Jesus. We know that it is good news. We know that it is news that is worth transforming lives for. We've been given the greatest gift in the entire world world, reconciliation with God, so that we might be in relationship with him and receive his love, so that we're fully alive. In Christ, we find family, belonging, identity, value, worth, dignity, purpose. The answers to the questions that this world is asking are found in Christ. And we have these answers. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to life. We have been given truth. We have been given truth. And so who are we to not share this with the world? 
Ephesians 2 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. We are now alive in Christ. We are alive, but once we were dead, we too were like the lost in this world. We did not know what we were missing. We did not know what love looked like, what it is. We did not understand that. But Christ in his love reconciled us to him. And we heard about Jesus because someone else told us about it. Because someone else was bold enough to tell us about the good news. Jesus gives us a command to go, and I hope and pray that we can see the urgency in it. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This is not momentary. This is not just for our life on earth. This is eternal. We are talking about eternity here. We are talking about lives that are going to be left to chaos and death and destruction. That is what awaits those who do not know God. That is what awaited us until he came to save us. We know that there is nothing better than relationship with Christ. We know this. And we've been given an incredible gift. In Romans 10, Paul reminds us um, of the weight of this. When he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We have been given this gift, but if we keep it to ourselves, if we do not preach it, if we do not tell the world about it, who will? They have to have someone to tell them so that they can believe, so that they can be saved. We must go because people are dead in their sin. They don't know the goodness of Jesus. They don't know what relationship with God looks like. How can they if we don't tell them? Jesus commands us to go, and we know that he has all authority in heaven and on earth, and so that should be enough for us to go. That is enough. We listen to Jesus. We are his disciples. We obey him. But God in his grace doesn't leave it there. The more we spend time with Jesus and we receive his love and we learn about his heart, the more we're transformed by him, the more he breaks our hearts and grows our love for the lost. The more he gives us the desire to go into the world, to tell them about Jesus because we love him and we love them. We, people talk about all the time their love for things, their love for people. So why won't we tell people about Jesus? Why won't we tell them how much we love him? We know that it's worth giving up everything for to see even one more person come to know Jesus, even one more. And God in his grace grows that desire in our hearts as we spend time with him. We must begin out of a deep love for Jesus. 
We must. Being sent into the world is hard and it is costly. Many of the 11 disciples who were there when Jesus gave this command were martyred. They were killed for their faith. Jesus was crucified for coming into the world and telling us about the truth. And so it is hard. It is very, very, very costly. But we can also be so confident that it is worth it because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. It is worth it to see one more person come to know him. And when we are sent, we're not sent alone. Jesus came to all the 11. He didn't come to them one at a time and say, James, go tell the world about me. Peter, go tell the world about me. Andrew, go. John, go. He came and told them together as a family because he knew that we would need each other in order to be sent. He knew that. He knew we would need each other to carry our burdens, to speak truth to us, to encourage us and spur us onward. And so we go with church family, but we also can be so confident in as we are sent because Jesus goes with us. We are not alone. He has given us the Holy Spirit, which is the same spirit that raised him from death to life. The same spirit is in us as we accept him as Lord and Savior over our lives. He goes with us. He gives us wisdom. He gives us strength. He gives us everything that we need. And he prepares the way for us. In verse 20, it says, And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. We are not left alone in this. We are not. So we can be so confident knowing that Jesus is working for us. All we have to do is obey. All we have to do is love him and tell the world about him. Yes, it is hard. Yes, it is costly, but it is so worth it. It is so worth it. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. And when we are, we come back to Jesus and we ask him for strength and him for courage, knowing that we cannot and do not do it on our own. We go with him and for him, telling the world about him. So we go, and when we go, we choose to go. We choose to go because we know that Jesus is worth it. We choose to go because we love him and we love his people. We love the lost sheep. And we know what gift we have been given, what truth we have received. So we want others to come with us. As a church, we have been given an incredible, incredible privilege to be present on the university and college campuses of our nation and around the world, eventually. The students are our mission field. Students who are lost, students who are dead in their sins, students who do not know the good news because they have not yet heard it. And we are bearers of that good news. We have been given the authority to go and tell them. We have this gift. So we go, we go with boldness and we go with courage telling the students about it. Do you love the students on our campuses? Do you really, really love them? Do your hearts break for these students who don't yet know Jesus, who haven't yet heard the good news? 
Do you see them? Do you see them as needing Jesus? Every single one of them, regardless of race, culture, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, program, anything. Do you see them all as needing Jesus so, so desperately? And are you willing to lay everything down for him? I pray, church, I pray that we are a church that goes with boldness, that steps out in faith, and that will lay everything down for the lost on our campuses. I pray that we would love as Jesus does, and I pray that we would not stop until every single one has come to know him, every single one has heard the good news. I know it's been a long year. I know that it's been hard. I know that many of us are tired and discouraged and we're struggling to keep going. You guys are doing an incredible, incredible job. I'm so proud of you. The amount of stories that I've heard of people coming into relationship with our church family and hearing the gospel for the first time from inviting students to come with you to serve downtown and telling them about why you're serving, telling them about Jesus, to dropping off baking for neighbors, to messaging random students on social media groups and telling them who you are, inviting them into relationship, telling them that they're not alone. There are so many ways, so many creative ways. You're being so faithful. And I want to encourage you, church, to keep going. I know it's hard, but keep going. I know we're weary, but Jesus is worth it, and he is giving us the strength to keep going. God has not stopped building his church, and he will not. So we can keep going knowing that that is true. We can be so confident in this promise. There are lost people everywhere. Let's go. Let's go and lay down our lives for them, because Jesus is worth it. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you so, so much that we get to be with you, that we get to walk with you, that we get to love you and be loved by you. I thank you that you have saved us, you have come, you left heaven to come down and take on the weight of our sin, the weight of our our burdens, the weight of our guilt and shame. You took it on yourself so that we would not have to. Jesus, I pray today that we would know how good your good news is. I pray that we would know how loved we are by you, and I pray that we would love you so deeply. Lord, teach us. Teach us how to love like you do, and I pray that we would be sent I pray that we would be sent in boldness and courage, that we would be a people of faith and not of fear. God, I thank you that you continue to send us, that you continue to invite us into deeper relationship with you. And we pray that you would continue to bring the lost in your world to know you through our church family. And so we're humbled that we get to be a part of this, Lord. We're grateful and we love you so much, Jesus. Amen. That's all from me today, church. As always, there will be a few questions at the end. Um, they are, do you truly believe that the gospel is good news? And how are you inviting Jesus to break your heart more for the lost? I hope you have an awesome, awesome time with your simple churches and with your regions, with your districts. And have a great Sunday. Be blessed, church.